0: Man, good job guys, thank you so much, okay, all right, Man. royal treatment right here, I like that, yeah, get that right in the right spot, <laughs> thank you guys, wonderful, <clears throat> how about that Bill, thank you buddy, there you go, clean that off for me, appreciate it, good job, good job. <clears throat> Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open and uh, find Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, good to see you tonight. Thank you for coming out. Guys, thank you for leading us in that worship. Great job. As we get started, very simple question. And the question is, how much do you really care? How much do you really care? Because I believe that one of the problems we have is that As a church, we come and we talk and we talk and we talk about how much we care, right? We care about the lost. We care about the hurting. We care about the families that are being ripped apart. We care about the folks who are losing their jobs. We care about all of these different people and all of these different things in life. But a lot of times we don't do anything about it. A lot of times we as a church are people of talk and not people of action and the world sees that and they look in and they're disgusted by it they say they talk they talk they talk but they don't have any action behind it and i want you to see tonight in mark chapter 2 we see a group of guys who care they care even though it's not easy they care even though it takes them out of their comfort zone They care even though people watching may not like it. They care and they take action. So let's walk through it together. Mark chapter 2, look at verse 1. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door." Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven or to say, Rise, take your bed and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them. All so they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. We ain't ever seen nothing like this before. So it begins in verse 1, and it says he returned to Capernaum. Jesus has been in his ministry. He's been going all through Galilee, and he comes to what is called the home. Many believe this is the home of Peter, which we see back in chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus is in Capernaum and he's beginning to build a reputation. And so the people begin to hear that Jesus is in town and they begin to go as quickly as they can to the place where Jesus is. It says, and many gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. When you read through the Gospel of Mark, you will find that the crowds play an important part. Forty times before chapter 10, Mark talks about the crowds. The crowds come and they form an audience to the teachings of Jesus. But I want you to realize that Mark never talks about the crowds turning in repentance to Jesus. The crowds time and time again demonstrate this passivity, this this group of people that's just watching and they are listening. The crowd comes and they come for the entertainment, they come for the show, but they leave at the cost. They want to see what's happening, they want to be amazed, but when you begin talking about what it costs to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus, the crowds leave. The crowds are shown to be those who obstruct access to Jesus. They are the outsiders. They're the ones who are on the outside looking in. Because in Mark, it is in private that Jesus begins to really teach and open up to the disciples. You see, enthusiasm or even proximity to Jesus is not the same as faith. And can I just remind you of this? The Lord is not obsessed with numbers. The Lord is not obsessed with the number of followers. The modern church is obsessed with numbers. If you go and you begin to take some seminary classes, you will find that you will take several different classes dealing with church growth. I've got a stack of books about this high in my office. Well, our office moved, so they're in a box somewhere. But I've got this stack of books, and it deals with church growth. It deals with the barriers of church growth. It deals with how to reach people and attract them to the church. But you know what's interesting? When I look at Jesus in the Gospels, I don't see where he was all that concerned with the numbers. I don't see where Jesus was going about and he was begging people and he was lowering the standard of Christianity just so they would become his follower. To Jesus, there was a standard and the standard was high. Now, there's nothing wrong with crowds. I praise the Lord for crowds. Praise the Lord that you're here because every person represents a soul for the kingdom of God. But if we're not careful, we focus too much on the number and less on the deeper matter, less on the discipleship. And we begin to judge a church by the the number of people that come, or by the size of the building, or by the size of the budget. Listen, you can have a church that has a big budget and a lot of people, and they can be doing very little for the kingdom of God. And you can have a church that is small, And they've got small buildings and they've got a small budget, but they can have some folks that are making an impact for the kingdom of God like nothing you've ever seen before. And so it's not all about the numbers. The Bible says there's a problem. There are tares in with the wheat, there are goats who are in with the sheep, there are vines who are fruitless, there are Judases mixed in with the disciples. And they are represented by the crowd that is outside the door. Now, keep looking. Look down at your text. It goes on. And it says, what was he doing? And he was preaching the word to them. He had this crowd. He had the people in front of him. And he is preaching the word. The word is the essence of the ministry of Jesus. It is the gospel or it is the good news that Jesus brings concerning the kingdom of God. He's got the opportunity and I want you to see that Jesus does not waste it. He does not squander it. He doesn't waste the opportunity that has been given him. I wonder how many times I waste it. I've got people around me. I've got people in front of me, and I don't seize the opportunity to point them to the kingdom of God. I wonder how often in your life you waste the opportunity. You see, when you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus offers a rebuke, and he offers rebuke intentional because that's his mission. You see that Jesus goes about and he heals, and he heals intentionally so that he can point people to the kingdom of God. Jesus goes about and he preaches, and he's intentional when he preaches so that people will be pointed to the kingdom of God. And I just believe that the Lord has placed you at your place of employment for a reason so that you can point your coworkers to the kingdom of God. But how often do we miss that? Young people, I believe the Lord has placed you in your school. He's given you passions for your hobbies or the sports that you chase after so that you can influence others for the kingdom of God. But if we're not careful, we will miss that opportunity and we will waste it. You see, the difference is when we wake up, if we wake up tomorrow morning and we realize that God has a plan for my life today, tomorrow will be different than last Monday. And you will do something for the kingdom of God. But if we don't wake up intentional, tomorrow will be like the previous Monday and the previous Monday and the previous Monday. And we'll go through a whole week and we'll realize that we didn't do a whole lot for the kingdom of God. It comes down to being intentional about where we go, about what we do, and about what we say. And it continues, and it says, And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. The Bible simply says they. The men are not named. We don't know where they came from. We don't know what they do for a living. We don't know about their families. We don't know anything about these men. But I want you to know these are some incredible men. The Bible simply says that they came bringing him a paralytic and they were carried by these four men. I like to use my imagination a little bit and just think about how this could have happened. And so don't judge me for it, but let's walk through this together because there is a backstory that we're not shown. It may be that one day there's a man and he's walking through town, just a regular day going through town. And he begins to notice that there is a crowd of people making their way towards this home. And so he, he sees a fella on the side. He says, hey, what's going on here? And he says, well, you remember that guy, that guy Jesus? You heard of the guy Jesus? Been doing all that cool stuff. He is actually in town today, and he is in that home. And immediately, this fellow, the light bulb went off in his head, and he begins to think about a friend that he's got. A friend, let's just call him, let's call him Pete, all right? He begins to think about Pete. You see, Pete is a good buddy of his. He's a good friend of his. And Pete is paralyzed. Pete has been to all the doctors. He has seen everybody you can see. And he has spent every dime that he's got in the bank. And nobody has been able to help Pete. But all of a sudden, he thinks to himself, If I got Pete to Jesus, I bet he'd be healed. And so in my mind, he begins to run. He doesn't walk. He doesn't skip. He doesn't gallop. He begins to run as fast as he can towards the home of Pete. And as he goes and makes his journey, he stops, makes three stops, and he finds his other friends. And he knocks on the door, and they come to the door, and and he says, Hey, guys, we got to go see Pete. Pete. Well, why do we got to go see Pete? Jesus is in town, and we've got to get Pete to Jesus. And so four men are seen running down the street as fast as they can, and they run into the home of Pete. And I can just imagine they go into the home, and they say, Pete, we've got to take you somewhere. And Pete says, where are we going? He says, Pete, we've got to take you to Jesus because Jesus is in town. Now, I I don't know what Pete's response would have been. It could have been that he said, guys, I have been everywhere. I've seen every doctor. I've seen every specialist. I have spent every dime that I've got. Nobody can help me. But they said, Pete, no, we're going to take you. And maybe Pete begins to argue with them. And then you know what the guys do? They don't take no for an answer. The Bible says they brought him on his mat. And so four guys, and they grab each corner of his mat, and they begin to carry him through town. I'm just imagining they are running as quickly as they can. And this man, he can't really hold on because he's paralyzed. And so he's bouncing along on the way. And they're running as quickly as they possibly can. And the Bible says, they come to the place, look at it. It says, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed which the paralytic lay. Imagine this. They've each got one corner of the bed. And they come up, they come up to the home, and at this point, there's people everywhere. You ever been somewhere like that? That, I mean, it is just wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder of people. I hate places like that. I don't like it. Can't stand it. But they come up to the scene and, and they, they try to push through. They say, we've got to get to Jesus. We've got to get through. And the crowd, they just won't let them get through. Now, do you know what most of us would do at this point? Let's be honest. What would we do? We're out, right? And, and we feel good about it. We say, We tried. Pete, man, we love you. We gave it our best shot. We really tried to get you to Jesus. And maybe, maybe a couple of them did. Maybe a couple of them said, guys, we gave it a good shot. Let, let's go home. And maybe they turn and they start to make their way home. And all of a sudden, one of the guys looks over and he sees one of those little homemade ladders. And all of a sudden, that light bulb goes off in his head and he begins to think. And he begins to think about how the roof is made because it's made of this this mud compaction. And he's thinking Jesus is inside the home. And we've got Pete, and we've got this cot, and look, there's some rope. I wonder if we could just lower him down in front of Jesus. And so he begins to talk to the guys. Guys, I've got a plan. And he tells them their plan. And I'm just guessing there's one in the group that says there's no way. There's always one, right? There's no way we can't do it. You're nuts. You're crazy. Let's go home. And I imagine Pete says, guys, if I fall off, that's going to hurt. That's going to not be good. I don't know about this. But, but this guy's pushing. He says, let's go. And so they carry the man on the roof. That's a job, isn't it? To carry a paralyzed man from the ground, carry him up a little ladder up on the rooftop. And then in this group, there's the engineer man. There's always an engineer type. And he walks over and he steps it off and he says, I imagine that Jesus is right here. And so we need to make a hole right here. And then they get down and they begin digging through the roof. They begin digging through. And now remember, what's Jesus doing? He's preaching, right? He's preaching and there's all these people and they're listening. And all of a sudden, the dirt begins to fall down Right in front of Jesus. There's a mess and it falls down right in front. And can't you just imagine? Everybody looks up and they begin to wonder what is going on. What's happening? And they see that head pop over the hole. Wouldn't that be nuts? You look up and there's a head and there's somebody smiling. And they keep on digging and they make the hole larger and they make the hole larger and they make the hole larger. And then you just keep watching and you see this mat. And this mat begins to lower And it begins to lower, and it begins to lower, and it's just silence. Everybody's just watching in amazement. What is going on here? And the mat just lowers, and it lowers, and it lowers right there in front of Jesus. I want you to think about these men, okay? Just incredible what these men have done. You remember the verse that that talks about the qualities? It says, now these three remain, what are they? Faith, hope, and love and the greatest of these is love. You know what we see in these men? We see faith, we see hope, and we see love. We see faith because they believed in their heart that Jesus is the answer. That they believed in their heart that if we get to Jesus, he can heal him. If we can just get to Jesus, Jesus has the power The doctors, they don't have the power. They can't fix him. This man is unfixable, but Jesus has the power. Now listen, in our life, the first step is to have that faith. We all have problems. We all have issues. We're all messed up, right? And so maybe you're here tonight, and you've got a relationship problem. You know that God can fix that. It's not too big for God. Maybe you're here tonight, and you've got a financial problem, and man, it looks tough. It looks big. you know, God can fix that financial problem. Maybe you're here, you've got a health problem, and you've been to all the doctors, you've been to all the clinics, you've had all the studies, and they've told you there's nothing they can do. That may be right. They might not can do anything, but God is the great physician. And so the first step is these men had faith. They believed in the Lord. They believed in his power. But next they had hope. You see, hope is built on faith. You have faith, but the next step is hope. Hope comes to what you have not seen. Romans 8, 24 says, Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? We talk about the return of Jesus being our blessed hope. It means that we believe, we have faith in it, but not only do we have faith in it, we look forward to that coming, don't we? And so there is a hope That Jesus comes and takes us home. These men believed that Jesus was able, and then they hoped that he would. You know, I believe there's something great in that. We believe that Jesus can heal. We believe that Jesus can bring reconciliation. We believe that Jesus can work a miracle. And then we hope that he will. We hope that it is in his will. And so we bring that to the Lord. We bring it to his presence. We bring it to his feet. And, and then we see love. Don't we see love? Can you just imagine all the barriers that got in the way of this group of men? What, what could they have said? They could have said, well, it's not my problem. I hate it for him. I hate that Pete is in a, a tough spot right now but it's not my problem. There's a lot of times we say that, don't we? We see people and we see people hurting and we know that they are people made in the image of God, but our attitude begins, not my problem, not my concern. And they could have said that. They could have said, I'm too busy. This guy's walking through town. He's got a place to go. He's got somewhere to be. He could have said, you know what? It's just not a good time today. You ever realize that when it comes to people needing help, it's never a good time? It's always when you're busy. It's always when you've got something going on. And so he could have said, I'm just too busy in life. I've got too much going on to help. He could have said, maybe later. Maybe Jesus will come back in a few weeks and we'll try it then. He could have said, surely someone else will do it. But we do that a lot, don't we? You work with someone that's lost. You know they need the Lord, but you, you push it away in your heart because you say, maybe somebody else will talk to them. Maybe somebody else will evangelize. Maybe somebody else will get outside their comfort zone. Or, or maybe there's this excuse because some people are not going to like this. Have you thought about the homeowner here? Right? If, it, if it's Peter's home, whoever's home it is, he's got to go fix his roof after this. I mean, I, I'm just got to think that he's sitting back and he's thinking, My goodness, I just fixed that roof. And now, look, there's a six-foot-long hole up there. Goodness. You could have thought, this is going to be a mess. There's people that got there early, and i got to go to the back of the line, and they're going to be mad when I just cut everybody and bring him right in front of Jesus. There's all these obstacles. There's all these different barriers. But you know what love does? Love lets nothing stop you. And these men let nothing stop them. They knew that Pete had to get to Jesus. Reminds me of Zacchaeus. Remember what Zacchaeus did? This wee little man, he goes up, he climbs a tree. He had to look silly doing it, but it didn't matter because he had to get to Jesus. It goes on, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. This is the first time that that faith is mentioned in Mark. And notice, it doesn't talk about their belief. What does it talk about? Their action. It doesn't talk about the belief in their heart. It talks about the action that you can see. So many times in the church, we talk about faith, and we talk about it as a noun. We say, I've got faith because I've got belief. And so in my heart, I've got this faith. But faith is a verb. Faith is action. Faith is something that you ought to be able to show off in your life. Faith is something that people should be able to look at our lives, and they ought to see that we are men and we are women of faith. Faith for this group of friends meant that they took action. They dodged the crowd, and they removed the roof. I think it's interesting because faith always involves risk. You cannot live a life of faith if you're not willing to take a risk every once in a while. And you know what happens when you take a risk? Every time you take a risk, there will always be fear. There's always gonna be fear, there's the fear of rejection. There's the fear of making a mistake. There's the fear of being wrong. There's the fear of the unknown. There's the uh, 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 fear of all these different avenues in life. But the difference is when we are men and women of faith, the fear does not paralyze us. It doesn't mean that we don't have fear, but it means that we know that God is pushing us forward. So we keep on marching on even in the face of fear. These men had to be afraid, but they kept on going. You know what Hebrews says? Hebrews 11:6 and says, "And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him." And they go back to chapter 10, it says, "But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we were not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. And preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In my life, I would rather be afraid of God than afraid of men. I would rather be afraid of displeasing God than to be afraid of displeasing anyone else. To get to the point that we are so focused on God, we will move when he says move. We will preach when he says preach. We will evangelize when he says evangelize. We will love as he says love. And it will not matter what's going on around us because God has given us a mission and we will be intentional about that mission. When you get to Hebrews chapter 12, it's the great passage of faith. You know what you see? You see, it's a, it's a chapter of action. You see that Abel gives, and Noah builds, and Abram, he leaves, and Isaac submits, and Sarah waits, and Daniel fights. And you see the apostles where they follow, and Paul where he travels, and Moses where he leads. All these folks, they had this great faith, and it led to action in their life. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to believe that our faith is only a belief on the inside. But biblical faith is so much more. Biblical faith is where it changes the way that we think. changes the way that we talk. It changes the way that we see other people. The way that we care about other people. The way that we love other people. It changes our priorities. It changes the way that we sacrifice. Now let's let's move on. We'll, We'll finish here real quickly. See what it says? It says Jesus saw Their faith. Did you catch that? Jesus saw their faith and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's a beautiful thing. If these men would have not brought Pete to Jesus, I'm not convinced he ever would have been healed. But because they stood out and they did what they were called to do, lives were changed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, what did this man come for? He came so that he wouldn't be paralyzed, right? But Jesus steps over and he's talking about his sins. I believe that Jesus looked at this man and this man had faith also. He knew the faith in this man. He knew that this man believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he looks to the deeper problem and this man's deepest problem is not that he cannot walk. This man's deepest problem is not that he cannot wiggle his toes. This man's deepest problem is a sin problem. And so he's not so concerned about the physical condition of his body. Jesus is concerned about his eternal destiny. There's people all around us, and they've got problems. And they've got financial problems, and they've got relationship problems. And there's a violence problem. There's all this different stuff. You know what the root of it is? It always comes down to a sin problem. It always comes down to a sin problem. And that's good because we have the solution to the sin problem, don't we? And so if we've got the answer, if we've got the solution, what we need to do is bring people to Jesus. So says, now some of the scribes were sitting there, and they were questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? They're shocked at what Jesus says. They said, we can't forgive sins. This man can't do it either. Only God can forgive sins. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? And so they're probably thinking, boy, that's easy to say. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven because we can't see that, can we? This man just talk. This man is just empty words. This man is speaking in a way that we cannot verify what he says. It continues, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And so they were all amazed and glorified God. And they said, We never saw anything like this. Boy, what a testimony. You imagine that man getting up and feeling his legs move and his arms move and, and standing. you imagine the smile on his face can you imagine the story that he told as he walked down the street and he's dragging that mat behind him as he talks about what the lord has done in his life listen the lord has healed you spiritually we were destined for hell and we deserved it but the lord stepped in he took our spot he healed us and now our job is to go all through town telling people what the Lord has done for us. And so here's the question as we close. There are some peats in your life. There are some peats in your life. There are some folks, and they are sitting at home right now, and they are broken, and they're depressed, and they're going through all these different difficulties And my brothers and sisters, we have the answer. We have the solution. The solution is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You want peace? It comes from Jesus. You want joy? It comes from Jesus. You want to lose the the downheartedness? It comes from Jesus. But it takes us to go and get them and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you just to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to begin to pray about this. Who is the Pete in my life? Listen, it may be that you haven't brought someone to Jesus in weeks or months or years or maybe in your whole life. But it could be that there's a, there's a face that you're looking at right now. There's somebody in your mind right now and the Lord is saying, I have put you in their life for a reason. You work with them for a reason, you're friends with them for a reason, they're in your family for a reason. Are you going to waste the opportunity or will you seize the opportunity? These men had faith, they had hope, and they had love. Do you have faith? Do you have faith that Jesus can do the impossible? Do you have the hope that he will? Do you care? Do do you honestly hope, you know somebody that's lost right now, do you have that hope that they would come to a genuine relationship with our Lord and Savior? Do you really hope? And do you love them enough to do something about it? Do you love them enough to call them? Do you love them enough to talk to them about it? Do you love them enough simply to invite them to church Is there any action to your faith? Or is it all just talk? Lord, I pray that we will be a people of action. God, I pray that for each one of us, you have put a face on our heart. You put someone on our mind, someone that we can minister to, God. And Lord, I pray that you will keep that that name on our heart. I pray as we We go home tonight. Maybe tonight we need to make a phone call. Maybe tonight we need to go see somebody on our way home. Maybe there's somebody who needs some encouragement. Lord, I pray that we'll be obedient, and I pray that we will see lives changed. I pray that we'll never get over what you've done